0: The following audio is from Pathway Community Church. More information about Pathway Community Church is available at www.pathwaycommunity-church.org. Well, this morning we're continuing our series following the life of Elijah. Hills and valleys, the highs and the lows of life. And learning how to trust God in the midst of it all. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 21 this morning. Um, so go ahead and if you've got a Bible handy or your phone, um, whatever it is that you read scripture on, 1 Kings chapter 21. As you get there, you might notice that Elijah isn't really the main character in this story, but King Ahab Uh, Really is. Kind of Elijah's arch nemesis. A few weeks ago, we actually did encounter King Ahab um, at our outdoor worship service. And that Sunday, we saw Elijah confront the prophets of Baal. And he showed that Baal does not provide the rain, but God does. And he showed that Baal is not in control, but Yahweh is in control. That was, that was a pretty cool skit, yeah? I think the narrator was maybe my favorite part of the skit for sure. And then last week, we saw Elijah. He comes out of this mountaintop experience where he thinks revival's going to be coming to the nation of Israel. Um, and it doesn't. So he gets discouraged. And God meets him in that discouragement. And he provides for him. And he refreshes Elijah. And then meanwhile, while Elijah's being refreshed, King Ahab, he's kind of off doing his own thing. Um, and, and King Ahab, he's the king over Israel at this time. He was a wicked king who, who often followed the lead of his wife, Jezebel. And, and he's described as the most wicked king of all the kings of Israel. That brings us then to 1 Kings twenty. One, um, Where ahab has just received some bad news And so he's looking to comfort himself and that's kind of where we find ourselves for first kings 21 and here's what we're going to do this morning We're going to read through this story Um in first kings 21 and, and as we read through it i'll just kind of pause and kind of point some things out for us to think about because I tried reading the story all on its own and it took like five minutes to get through and so we'll just read it make some pauses and then continue to read Um, but kind of the three major things to look for this story makes us look inward into our own hearts lest we be like king ahab this story makes us look outward to those around us and finally the hope of this story is that it makes us look upward so we're looking inward, then we're looking outward, then we're looking upwards uh, in First Kings 21. Does that make sense? That's kind of where we're going today. So let's start with inward. This is in verses 1 to 10. Um, so let's, let's read here in First Kings 21, verses 1 to 10. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may make it, have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, pause. Ahab had his main palace in Samaria, and his summer home palace was in Jezreel. So he's looking at his summer home palace, and he's like, you know, my second palace really won't be complete unless I get this vegetable car which, okay, he's off off in the wrong direction right from the start because vineyard versus vegetable garden, I'm going to take wine every time over some veggies, right? Like, what is this dude thinking? Why do you want a veggie garden? Vegetable garden was actually a sign of what the Israelites experienced when they were in Egypt. In Deuteronomy, God tells the Israelites when you were in Egypt, you planted and cultivated and you had gardens. But the land that I'm bringing you to, you don't need to do that. You'll just experience the fruit of the ground where it lies. You don't have to do irrigation. Like, you're going to be set up in the land. So this is actually a little picture of Ahab trying to bring the Israelites away from God's promises and back to Egypt. So that's why he's choosing veggies over wine here. B'Naveth says No. He tells the king, sorry, but this land was a gift from God to my family, to my ancestors, and it's more valuable than anything you have to offer me. And and apparently Ahab didn't know or didn't care about the land rules in in Israel because land doesn't change hands. If you get into financial trouble, you might lease your land for a little bit, until you can buy it back or until the year of jubilee when it's given back to you but the land always belonged to the lord so you never sold your land to anybody nobody ever took your land that was your family's land god's grace that he gave to you and here ahab is trying to incite one of his faithful uh people living in the kingdom to sin and to give up his land and Naboth's like no no we, I can't do that. I'm not going to give up the Lord's inheritance. We can read on, starting in verse 4, that this did not sit well with Ahab. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen, because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, and he turned away his face, and he would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and I said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. That's pathetic. Ahab, he gets denied this tiny little add-on for his second palace, and he throws a temper tantrum. He should have been out caring for the people of Israel. He should have been caring for the nation. He should have been attending to the things that a good king attends to. Yet instead, here he is laying down on his bed. He's he's going on a hunger strike. And he's pouting. Do we have the video? i wonderful, darling. Thirty-six, counted them myself. Thirty-six? Well, last year, last year I had thirty-seven. Yeah, yes, well, some of them are quite a bit bigger than last year. I don't care how big they are. No, 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 this is what we're going to do. Is that when we go out, we're going to buy you two new presents. How's that, pumpkin? I want a vineyard. I want the garden. I don't care you can't give me in. That's Ahab. It's rooted in his selfishness. You know, which actually calls us to look inward. To our own selfishness. Because that's how ridiculous our selfishness can make us act. Ahab, he didn't really have anybody that was checking his selfishness. He didn't have anybody that was kind of governing, like putting a stop on how selfish he was. He also didn't have anybody that was checking how much power he had. So we get to see in his life what happens when you gain so much power that nobody can stop you and you have so much selfishness that you've just harbored in your heart and you turn into a spoiled little brat who goes on a hunger strike because he can't get a veggie garden. But it makes us look inward, doesn't it? Where do we harbor that type of selfishness? And look at what it leads to. Look at the destruction that it wrought in verses 8 to 10. So she, Jezebel, wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. we got to look inward. Because everything here is about what Ahab and Jezebel want. Look at, look at how Ahab has been focused on himself in all of this. First, he sees Naboth as a thing to be used. He's not, he's not someone in the kingdom to serve. He's a, oh, fortunately his vineyard butts up against my second palace, and I could turn into a veggie garden. Let me make him an offer that he can't refuse. Look at how he reinterprets what Naboth said. Naboth said, the Lord forbid that I give you the inheritance of my fathers. And then the narrator repeats that line, and it seems redundant, but I think the narrator wants us to recognize, wait, Naboth's words said that the Lord forbids that I'll give you inheritance. The inheritance of my fathers. But look at how Ahab changes that wording in verse 6. He's crying, he's pouting. Jezebel, make me feel better. I want this garden. She says, What's going on? And he goes, Naboth said, I will not give you my vineyard. So Naboth's focusing on the Lord and saying, wait, hold on, I can't even do that because this is the Lord's. Ahab's here focused on himself. And so when someone denies him what he wants, he can only interpret it as a selfish thing. He thinks Naboth is slighting him. He thinks it's a personal thing. He thinks Naboth is being petty. I don't like you, Ahab, so I'm not going to give you my vineyard. That's not what he said. He said, the Lord forbid that I give you the inheritance of my father's. But Naboth is too selfish to recognize that. He sees it as a personal issue, not a God issue. I wonder how our own selfishness reinterprets how we experience various relationships that we're in. I wonder. I wonder how many arguments we get in with family or close friends because we're like already selfishly on the defensive as soon as they say something we don't want to hear. I wonder how we interpret the things around us based on our own selfishness instead of what the reality is. It calls us to look inward. And there's more selfishness here. Ahab and Jezebel, they, they use Naboth as a person or as a thing. They also use religion for their own benefit. Jezebel and Ahab, they don't care about God or his laws unless they can use him for their own good. What's Jezebel's plan? Declare a fast. That's a very religious thing. Then they follow the Old Testament law, which says you need two witnesses if there's a capital offense. Declare a fast. Let's get two witnesses there that are going to say that Naboth did this terrible thing. Oh, and you know what the, the penalty is for cursing God and cursing the king? You have to stone that person to death. So make sure he gets stoned to death. All in the name of religion. Usually you would declare a fast if if there was some wonky thing happening in your village. Like you'd be like, oh man, like God is withholding rain or God is bringing the sickness on us. That means that we need to purge whatever wickedness is happening. So let's, you know, declare a fast and, and figure out who is responsible for bringing this wickedness upon us. So Jezebel's like, I know what we'll do. Let's use that. She doesn't care about God, but she loves the religion when it works to her benefit. That doesn't happen today, does it? We're never tempted to use religion for our own gain. We're never tempted to use other people for our own gain, or, or using using our position of power. Who's going to say no to Jezebel? Who's going to say no to Ahab? It's selfish. It's it's covetousness. It's I want that. There's an Ariana Grande song. Yes, I will admit that I know most Ariana Grande songs. I'm, because I listened to her, I suppose. But there's a refrain there that says, I see it. I want it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. That's what we are. Doesn't matter. We'll use whatever we want to use to get it. Parents. How are you using your God-given influence? Spouses. How are you using your God-given influence? Bosses, leaders, politicians, wherever you have influence, how are you using that influence? Is it, is it for yourself or is it for the glory of God? Are you taking it of like, what can I get out of this? Or are you saying, how can I serve God out of this? Because if, if we're using those things for ourselves, then we might not do something as awful as this, but we're no better than Ahab when it comes down to our hearts, when we look inward. You may have not killed an innocent man for his vineyard to turn it into a veggie garden, but if you had the power, you might, right? If you could get away with it. The story makes us look Inward. Lest we harbor that same selfishness. So take a look this morning. It also makes us look outward to speak up for the Naboths in our lives. If we read on, starting in verse 11, look at how poorly the elders and the leaders in Naboth's town treat him. Pick, picking up in verse 11. Look at what happens. Jezebel sends and, and tells the leaders to do this thing, to frame Naboth. And the men of, this, of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in, sat opposite him, and the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He's dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth has no life, because he's dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. You know, you would think... You would think when the leaders of Naboth's village received those letters from Jezebel, you would think it might say something like, and they tore their clothes because they didn't know what to do. Or there arose a great discussion amongst them. Because how could they do this to somebody who hadn't sinned? How could they set him up like this? But what do we get? We get a very dry telling from the narrator saying, yep, they did it, yep, they did it, yep, they did it, yep. Just like she said, they did it, they did it, they did it. Nothing. Nothing of the leaders pushing back against it at all. Where were they? And the narrator's almost surprised because you get up until verse 12, you kind of have this same verb form in the Hebrew. And then in verse 12, it shifts abruptly for just verse 12. And it's almost as if the narrator is saying, they actually did it. Almost like the narrator's surprised. They proclaimed a fast. They set Naboth at the head. And then the false witnesses, that, by the way, uh, Jezebel didn't set them up with the false witnesses. They went out and found the false witnesses. The false witnesses that they had set up showed up. They did their thing. And the Jezreelite political machine grinds on. The silence of these leaders forces us to look outward and speak up against injustice anywhere. To stand up for the rights of the poor and for the disenfranchised. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We look outward, wherever it is, church, wherever it is. It's not a political party thing. It's not a social justice thing. Wherever injustice exists, may we stand against the abuse of power. May we stand against those who use religion or use their political power for their own gain at the expense of others. This is hard especially in America where things are currently just so divided. Because it's it's difficult to look within your own political party and call out the injustice that exists in it because, spoiler alert, there's corruption on both sides of the aisle. But we're pretty good at ignoring the corruption on our particular side which is kind of what the Jezreelite leaders did. They'd have no problem calling out the injustice that Ahab and Jezebel may have been calling out. But as soon as their leader tells them to do something, oh, let's just roll with it. Let's downplay it. Let's double down on it and defend it. You know, we will not have many friends If we stand up here and say, yes, it is wrong that looters and rioters are taking advantage of what should be peaceful protests and they are damaging property and they are harming and even killing police officers, that's wrong and it needs to stop. And at the same time we say, yes, There are systems in place. There are people that are still using their political power to keep the status quo and negatively impact minorities in general and black people in particular. And that injustice needs to change. We won't be left with many friends when we say that. But that's what we're called to do. Wherever there is injustice, wherever it can be seen, we must speak up for those who are powerless. That is not easy. We can understand the leadership here in Jezreel. That kind of just goes along with it because it's kind of an unstoppable machine. But church, we got to be prepared to suffer. We've got to be prepared when we step out into the thick of whatever's going on politically, whatever's going on socially, and say, we don't stand necessarily for a particular party. You, you, you can very well be in a particular political party. That's great. But at our base, we say we stand for Jesus, and we stand for His justice, and we stand for His rule. That's where we start. That's how we start our conversation about, okay, well, how do we speak out and what do we do about injustice in the world around us? You might go about that in a different way and that's fine, but can we just agree that Jesus cares about justice and that wherever there's injustice, he wants us to speak for those who are in harm's way. May we do this. I'm to be honest, it's hard for me It's so hard for me. It's so easy to not say something. It's so easy to just, it seems so overwhelming. And that leaves me with this lingering question where's God in the midst of it? God, it's so, it's so difficult to know what to say, when to say it, how to say it. It's so difficult to, 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 to get through what the media is saying and find the truth, God. where are it, I, I see that righteous people, God, like Naboth. Why are you not standing up for them? Why are righteous people suffering? Naboth did nothing wrong. Naboth exhibits righteousness. He's probably one of the 7,000 that haven't bent their knee to Baal yet that... Elijah was comforted with last week this was a sweet deal for Naboth he could have gotten some extra money could have gotten a new vineyard you know he would have moved up on the king's nice list he's probably on the short list next time the king throws a garden party at his garden right he's like Naboth's coming to that one but man Naboth chooses to act rightly and I'm like God where are you like the, wh- the the things that Jezebel put in place, that was just a smooth operation. She sent the letters, they got the letters, they did what they said, they sent them back. David's dead. We did it. Go ahead, take it. Where is God? The story makes us look inward. Check our own hearts. The story makes us look outward to speak for those who are wrongly accused, and suffering injustice. But I love the way it ends, because the story then tells us, look upward for our answer. Look at verses 17 and on. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab... Every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebit, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me. And because you have made Israel to sin, and of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. In any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was no one who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words... You see, our temptation is to wonder, God, where are you? Why are the wicked flourishing? How come their plans seem to always work out at the expense of the righteous? God, do you see us? Well, yes, he does. If you look chronologically at when Naboth dies... The four verses after his death, Naboth's name is used six times. God has not forgotten Naboth. Naboth's name remains in the story well after he dies. It's kind of like this haunting of the blood of Naboth. Naboth. Don't forget Naboth. Don't forget Naboth. Don't forget this atrocity that was committed. God is not forgotten. God comes to a refreshed Elijah. And the first thing that God uses Elijah for after he's been refreshed is to go and to call out the injustice that was committed. So so Elijah's like on hyper mode. He's ready to go. He's just been encouraged by the Lord. And God's like, all right, first task, we got to go take care of some business over here because my boy Naboth got it bad. And we're not going to let that slide. When the wicked world around us flourishes, when it seems like the godly get trampled on, when you suffer because you choose what is right instead of what's easy, you make a decision to speak out against injustice, you make a decision to not lie, you make a decision to tell the truth. When you choose what God wants instead of what you want, when you suffer for righteousness' sake, God sees. God knows. He knows all too well about suffering for righteousness' sake. There was another righteous man who died at the hand of sinners. Because of false witnesses and a corrupt system. Yeah. Jesus. But where Naboth's blood screams for justice, Jesus' blood screams forgiveness. Because all of us, we got some Ahab in us. And apart from Jesus, we actually deserve God's justice. We deserve that judgment for our sin, the ways that we've used other people or used religion or looked to ourselves. God is just. This story proves it. Naboth got messed up. Ahab gets way more messed up. He pronounces judgment. Our sin demands that same justice, but enter Jesus, the greater Naboth. And where Naboth's righteousness was, in part, righteousness, Jesus' righteousness was full and perfect. If Naboth didn't deserve injustice, how much more so did Jesus not He lives this perfect life. He, and then he takes the judgment that belongs to us on himself. He allows false witnesses to corruptly kill him so that if we truly believe in him and turn from our sin and from ourselves, we'll be granted not just forgiveness of our sins, but we'll be given the very righteousness of Jesus. But that's why we need to continually look upward because we need to see that grace that's offered to us, that forgiveness that's offered to us. And then as we receive that grace and we receive that righteousness, guess what? That's going to compel us to live Righteously, So then we step out and we start speaking out against injustice because Jesus is at work in us. His righteousness is at work in us. And so we're empowered and we're able to step out. And we're able to step into things that seem daunting or too overwhelming. And it's Jesus' righteousness at work in us. And then we step out and guess what? We suffer for righteousness' sake. So then we've got to look back upward and say, God, where are you? And put our faith back in God and say, wait, hold on. I know how this story ends, God. You're going to make everything right one day, just like you did for Naboth. And then we can look at Ahab, and look at how he responded. Ahab repented. The worst of the kings of Israel. And God accepts it. He's all too ready to take the worst of the worst that we've done And this one's harder. He's all too ready to take the worst of the worst of what's been done to us and extend mercy. And that's what he's calling us to do today. Wherever it is that you are at, the call is to look upwards. Maybe you have looked inward and you see that selfishness. Well, look upwards and receive forgiveness from a God who is all too ready to extend it. Turn from it. Maybe you looked outwards and you saw how you failed to stand up for the oppressed and stand up against injustice. Maybe you're looking at the injustice around you thinking, how the heck is this ever going to get sorted out? I don't know where to start. Look upward. And find strength and wisdom in the risen Lord Jesus. Maybe you're experiencing suffering right now. Maybe you are suffering because of righteousness' sake. Look upward. In His timing, God will make it right. He sees, He knows, He remembers. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says... Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Pray with me. Father, we we come to you as your body coming from a bunch of different places. Whether we need forgiveness for our selfishness, whether we need repentance where we haven't spoken up for those who can't speak for themselves, whether we're experiencing injustice right now, Holy Spirit, would you be present with us? Would we know your presence. Would we stand firmly, Jesus, on the fact that you are with us? That you will make all things right? And despite our circumstances, God, you are at work in and through us. And will we just be open to looking upwards and receiving your grace and walking in your righteousness, Jesus, that you work in us.